0: This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank.
1: Hello, this is Peter Kiviakidis. I'm the CFO of Squarespace. Space. You're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast.
0: This is episode number 266. finance leader, are you How driving are you change, change in your, organization? your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Tom Graney, CFO of Ironwood Pharmaceuticals.
1: So it's, it's a competitive market and we look to be competitive because uh, we're in a intellectual property business and we need to ensure we've got the, the best possible people. So when you look at the uh, focus and speed at, with which uh, accounting is progressing, uh, it's just becoming much more uh, resource-intensive on the people side, and there just aren't enough good people who have the right experience. And I think that's, frankly, going to be a big challenge for, for the finance functions, regardless of the industry they're in in the U.S.,
0: Listen to our complete interview with Tom after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intac provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making. When scale is top of mind, by automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intact provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking to Tom Graney, CFO of Ironwood Pharmaceuticals, which has a, a market cap of $2 billion today. Tom, welcome.
1: Thanks, Jack, uh, and thanks for having me. And I, I guess before we get started, I just want to thank you more generally for the the great service you're providing with this podcast series. I think CFOs don't often have places to turn for for peer advice, and it can be a, a lonely place, so it's, I think, a uh, valuable service
0: you're providing. Well, that's nice to hear. I know that um... few leadership roles are evolving in business as quickly as uh, the finance leadership role is, so we like to think we're capturing sort of that first draft of business history, and at the, uh, the same time helping uh, future finance leaders understand better the types of experiences that can best prepare them for a CFO role. And so, Tom, let's, let's begin there. What would you tell us? What were those uh, past experiences that you feel helped prepare you for a, a finance leadership role?
1: Well, I think for me, um, it, it kind of started very early in my career where uh, I had decided that, recognizing I was going to be working really hard and for for a, a long career that I wanted to make sure that I was investing my energy in a industry I was passionate about. And for me, that happens to be human health care. I've spent the last 25 years or so um, in uh, the industry of providing either pharmaceutical or medical devices, which have changed millions of people's lives along the way, and uh, it really started me on a path of making sure that as a finance leader, I could see a direct line of sight to the decisions I was helping to to make and how that was impacting patients. So uh, there's a a special responsibility, I feel, that comes in the healthcare space and one that uh, I felt would keep me engaged and excited and passionate for, for decades, and it certainly has. So I would say that that was the first kind of critical decision, I would say, that set me on the path to, to being a CFO in a pharmaceutical company. I would say the second one uh, is around value creation. It's a, it's a real passion of mine. I spent uh, 20 years at Johnson & Johnson, and a lot of that time was spent on the topic of creating value and for me that really started with defining what value creation is i think uh, it's a term you hear a lot uh, and if you were to ask around i am pretty sure you would not get a consensus on how to define it uh, the way i define it is that uh, when you're making an investment that's investments going to provide a, a greater return than alternative investments with a similar risk profile. So uh, at j and J, I I spent a lot of time thinking about value creation and how uh, it really should be the lens we look through when we're trying to make the best decision possible. And, you know, that plays on a number of kind of sub- specialties in, in finance whether it's m and a or portfolio management or capital or resource allocation decisions so um, it kind of those two things the passion for human health care and also a passion for value creation really set me up to to view the opportunity I had in coming to Ironwood a couple of years ago uh, To be in a position where I feel that I'm well uh, prepared to to help create a lot of value here at Ironwood, Uh, I lead the corporate strategy function here. So uh, in that respect, setting the corporate strategy and then also working to, to make sure we're executing against it and taking advantage of areas where we feel we've got competitive advantage, and that comes both on the commercial side, we have two drugs on the market, and also uh, on the research and development side where we've got a, a very rich pipeline. So I would kind of summarize it in that fashion.
0: Now, uh, I was just looking at, at your bio here. Did you spend part of your career in, in Europe, or was that something you could do stateside? Um.
1: I lived in the U.K. for a few years. I was responsible for J&J's pharmaceutical business in the U.K., Ireland, and English-speaking Africa, based out of the U.K.
0: What do you believe that kind of perspective, do you think you enjoy today, that that helped shape? It was
1: probably, uh, if I were to pick one uh, milestone event in, in my career that had the most Singular impact. It would probably be that one. I think it was the the first time I lived and worked outside of the country, outside of the U.S., and uh, really gave me a not just a global perspective, but I would say um, like a citizen of the world perspective, uh, both from a cross-cultural understanding standpoint, as well as appreciating and respecting the differences uh, that different cultures place on uh, how businesses should act uh, and the different value systems. So I am a much better leader now for, for having spent time outside of the US. Uh, later in my career, uh, I also worked a lot in Belgium um, in, in the pharmaceutical business there as well. And there again, um, living and working in a market that was structurally so different than the U.S. Um, just broadened my horizons tremendously, such that later in my career at J&J, I was in global roles um, where I had responsibility for facilities and people all over the world. So uh, I think having that first-hand experience to fall back on was was a privilege that
0: uh, I was really excited to have. So, before you, you landed Ironwood, you were CFO at a number of different units uh, within Johnson & Johnson, and then you go on to become uh, Vice President of Finance and Global Supply Chain there, a huge role uh, given uh, J&J's uh, dimensions. But when you come to Ironwood, what What's the chapter of your career you're now working on? What is the uh, sort of the role you want to create for yourself here?
1: You know, it's interesting. You're right, Jack. I had um, the good fortune to have a number of, of really exciting opportunities at JNJ, which is a, a terrific company um, that offers the breadth of opportunity that few other companies do. Um, so I, I'm really grateful to, to have had the chance to, to see a number of different businesses in different parts of their life cycle. Um, and then I think in coming to Ironwood as a corporate TFO, um, it provided me with a great opportunity to continue to develop. Um, and I think that's one of the important things that I've taken through, throughout my career is I always want to be working to get better. And as a corporate CFO, certainly uh, with responsibility for the capital market piece and investor uh, relations is something I did not have at J&J. So that area of development was really important for me. And then I think moving into the business at Ironwood, uh, I think we had a really strong finance team here that I was fortunate enough to, to inherit. Um, and we've been able to, to make it even better over the last couple of years by um, focusing on M&A, uh, a strategy function, and also some FP&A work. Uh, so I, I would say overall, um, coming to what is a, obviously a much smaller company than j uh, was, for me, the right move at the right time from a development standpoint also just to, to take on the, the corporate CFO
0: role. So have you organized finance any differently or made changes to your team?
1: We've made uh, a number of people changes, um, mainly focused on making sure our team continues to develop. We've built some capabilities and brought in some additional resources that um, were needed as our company continued to grow. We're a high-growth company now and expect to be for the foreseeable future. So I'm looking to make sure that um, our team is in a position to make sure that we're able to uh, Helps the company make the right decisions all along the way. And that starts with setting the right strategy. So I hired a, a head of corporate strategy um, who has come in and done a terrific job in really synthesizing uh, what is important to us. And we rely on that framework uh, on a regular basis when we're making important investment decisions.
0: So tell us a little bit about Ironwood and what sets it apart in the pharmaceutical sector today.
1: It's it's a really fascinating company and one. I, frankly, I, I had not heard of Ironwood before I started talking to the company about um, potentially joining Ironwood, and it's a it's a really rare story in in biotech. Uh, the company's been around for a long time, has developed. Uh, discovered, developed, and is now commercializing a drug, which rarely happens um, within the biotech industry. Typically, those companies uh, that are on the innovation side, very strong, get acquired. Um, we now have two drugs on the market uh, and a rich R&D pipeline that uh, is very focused in scientifically in areas where we feel like we're world-class. So um, we have got uh, a number of key milestones coming up in the next 18 months that really will help frame out what we think is a a really attractive future for the company.
0: Can you tell us about what are the the key metrics you look at to uh, be sure that the company is performing the way you want it to?
1: I would say... Uh, for us, one of the most important metrics is how many, how many, people, how many people's lives are better because of our products. Um, our first product has been on the market for almost four years now and has been prescribed to over a million patients. So certainly from a, um, a triple bottom line type of mentality, uh, being able to look at impact on patients' lives is important to us, and then certainly, uh, you know, we're we're an innovative company, so we invest significantly in R&D. So we're focused on ensuring we're getting uh, great productivity out of the R&D function, and then finally, we're um, we're really value investors here at Ironwood, and we focus on. Creating, you know, the most intrinsic value per share we possibly can, and that focuses us in terms of decision making to make sure we're maximizing that intrinsic value subject to whatever constraints we're under. Uh, in terms of, you know, how we measure that is uh, one aspect of measurement is how many good ideas do we have. Uh, we're always going to have more good ideas than we have time, money, or resources to invest in, but we like the notion of creating selection pressure uh, to make sure that we're always investing in the the highest value opportunities.
0: This being a publicly held firm, we can't uh, resist asking, what would you tell us about managing the tension uh, between short-term performance today and the long-term health of the business?
1: I think it's a it's a it's a great question and one that um, you know frankly is something I've spent a, a lot of time in my career thinking about and that is um, our our role as finance leaders is to strike that right balance between performance which which I kind of think of as you know the the results we're delivering in the current period and health which is our ability to sustain and improve that performance over time. Um, the, the tension around public companies and delivering quarterly results can sometimes uh, create a, a difficult environment to make sure you're focused on the health part of that equation. Um, and I think it's well understood, especially in innovative industries like healthcare, uh, or pharmaceuticals, that uh, the health of our R&D pipeline is really the lifeblood of the company going forward, and that's how we're going to uh, sustain ourselves uh, in terms of value creation over the long term for our, for our shareholders. Uh, and, you know, I, I think a lot of companies do struggle with that because there is this notion that if you don't deliver in the short term, There is no long-term, and uh, I like to make sure we're focused on both. We have to deliver in the short-term, deliver on our commitments, make sure we're delivering uh, and executing on our strategy and getting the results that we want in the short-term and investing appropriately to make sure that we're going to have a sustainable business over time.
0: Uh, The pharmaceutical sector is certainly known for driving growth with M&A activity. How does Ironwood's approach to M&A stack up against the industry's activities?
1: Uh, I think you're right. Uh, M&A within the pharmaceutical or medical technology space is a really important value creator for the industry. Um, I think what it does is it allows uh, the allocation of resources to be in the appropriate hands at the appropriate time when you think about the life cycle of a technology, for example. So um, a smaller company that's focused on delivering an innovation can do so independently. Once they've retired the appropriate level of risk, then a larger company that is better resourced to commercialize and make the most market value of that technology, then would take over the asset um, and finish development of it and then commercialize it. So, in unlike many other industries where the sources of value creation in M&A is oftentimes cost synergies. It's much, much different in the, in the biotech space and the medtech space, I would say. Um, at Ironwood, we do both. We, we focus on M&A where we can uh, create more value out of an asset than the, the current holder of that asset. And we look to exploit that synergy on the top line um, in terms of revenue synergies. And then also on the R&D side, uh, where there's complementary technology that uh, we can combine with our own technology, that would be a a source of synergy as well. I think in general, I am a M&A skeptic. I've spent a lot of time in M&A and see how much value gets destroyed by the acquirers. Um, And it's pretty well documented that that's the case. But uh, I think done well and with a lot of discipline, uh, it has an important place in in any technology CFO's
0: portfolio. Tom, we always like to ask for what we call a finance strategic moment, an aha moment. Uh, That uh, led you to point uh, the company in a different direction or uh, pursue a new opportunity. What uh, would come to mind?
1: I would say um, th- it was probably during my career at J&J I was in charge of a team that was uh, a finance team that was focused on value creation and trying to instill a value creation mindset uh, across the corporation. Um, and I kind of alluded to that earlier when I talked about you know, how we define value creation and, and how we need to compete for capital. Um, I, I would say that uh, focus, time, just looking at, on a very fundamental basis, how value is created in, in our industry, um, was probably has informed my thinking the most in terms of how to make the best decision. Um, you know, in finance roles, we oftentimes are... Uh, helping others make decisions, and it is uh, incumbent upon us to make sure that we help non-financial decision-makers understand what the best decision is and and the lens to look through to make sure that we're making the best decision. Um, At Ironwood, we we happen to think that decision-making is a competitive advantage of ours. Uh, We think we, we make great decisions, um, in support of creating the most intrinsic value we can,
0: want to ask about uh, the workforce today when it comes to the organization's workforce as a finance leader, are you becoming more involved in some of the the decision making there related to compensation today and um, you know cost per hire? What are you looking at?
1: In terms of compensation, certainly. Uh, you know, we're, we're in a competitive market. Uh, Ironwood is based in Cambridge uh, outside of Boston in Massachusetts. It is a very competitive market for talent, not just finance talent, but um, for for a lot of biotech specialty um, R&D functions as well. So it's, it's a competitive market. And we look to be competitive because uh, we're in a intellectual property business and we need to ensure we've got the the best possible people. So to a certain extent we rely on uh, you know the the market to, to set the price and the value on on the resources and capabilities that, that we're looking to, to bring in and build. I would say overall um, accounting resources are are very hard to come by these days and I hear that from a lot of my peers as well. Certainly when you look at the uh, focus and speed at, with which uh, accounting is progressing, uh, it's just becoming much more uh, resource intensive on the people side and there just aren't enough good people who have the right experience. And I think that's, frankly, going to be a big challenge for for the finance functions, regardless of the industry they're in in the U.S. Um, certainly, the regulatory environment is, is creating uh, a need for many more qualified accountants than we have.
0: Now, this sector clearly faces some unique uh, regulatory hurdles, uh, but uh, I'd be interested in understanding better this th- Sort of talent gap that you see, and if whether some of the advances in technology um, are likely to help here.
1: Um, yeah, to answer your question, yes, it's it's the regulatory and compliance uh, regimes that that are not just changing, but changing at an increasingly rapid pace. It, it really is knowledge workers that uh, we need to interpret new guidance. To write new policies and procedures, and make sure that uh, our accounting lines up with what it needs to be, especially you know for a for a U.S. listed public company, um, and it's just uh, a lot more manpower, regardless of the technology platform you have.
0: I'm wondering if you could could narrow the lens more for us, and it's to as far as where does this shortage exist
1: in terms of. Uh, Finance people? Yes. For finance people? I would say specifically in accounting. I mean, certainly there's a technology trade-off there where um, technology and innovation on the system side is, uh, I would say, enabling a pivot for finance to be less transactional focused and more business and decision support focused. Um, but along with that comes, as I mentioned, you know, a, a much uh, more difficult um, accounting framework that we have to work in. So it, it there are pluses and minuses, I would say the, the type of talent we need is just a little bit d- different. It's less transactional, more uh, analytical.
0: Okay, well, we have a, a big-picture question for you now as we move into the mentoring round. We like to kick off by asking, what's exciting you about finance and business today?
1: Well, I think um, from a capital markets perspective, it's, it's an interesting time. You know, cert- Certainly, the, the geopolitical changes that are going on around the world um, are uh, forcing some interesting trade-off decisions, I think. Um, as capital continues to be able to flow uh, relatively quickly, it forces companies to be much better at allocating their own capital. Um, in some respects, it, uh, the environment is a lot less forgiving these days than it, than it has been historically. Um, so I think, in general, that means Uh, From a competitive standpoint, companies really have to focus on their strategy and execute on it um, without getting distracted.
0: And what advice would you have uh, for new finance leaders or executives just stepping into the office for the first time?
1: I would say it's um, important to make sure you listen uh, more than you talk at the beginning.
0: Do you have a a personal habit that you believe is responsible in part for your professional success today?
1: I think, um, I don't know if it's a habit, but I'm a curious person. So I think intellectual curiosity, I think, is something that has enabled me to always be questioning and learning um, and continuing to develop. You know, I've got a lot of areas where, you know, I feel like I still have room to get better at. Um, So I I would probably say that one and probably humility as well. I I think um, it's important for CFOs, especially new CFOs, to be okay with the fact that they might not know all the answers. And that's okay.
0: Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders?
1: For finance people in particular, um, as I said, we've got a kind of value investor mindset here. Um, I I would recommend folks read Warren Buffett's annual letters. Um, You know, he's a, a, a great thinker. Uh, in terms of the, the lens he looks through and how uh, Berkshire uh, allocates their capital. Um, so for finance people who you know, want to focus on finance, I, I would say those letters are, are full of great insights. From a um, general business perspective, I, I like uh, Clay Christensen's work on innovation. Um, I think it provides great lessons for how you can um, focus and create a sustainable business that um, continues to innovate over time.
0: Finance thought leaders don't go anywhere. We're about to ask our finance leader guest for their business priorities over the next 12 months. But first, permit us 30 seconds to thank our sponsor. You want smart? year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, and our final question, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months?
1: I would say it's not just over the next 12 months, it's every day when I wake up for, for my career. And that is, am I doing everything I possibly can to make sure that we as a company are making the right decisions with respect to uh, where we compete, where we invest, and how we execute.
0: Tom Graney, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader.
1: Thank you very much, Jack. It was a pleasure.
0: It's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever-so-short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on cfothoughtleader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug. At zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply.